Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics and exciting for our listeners because finally we'll obsessively focus on everyone's darling sport, the national football league, college football. We're finally here. Don't worry. No more NBA finals talk. Although the draft and free agency in the season beckons the world series in the rearview mirror. Although that'll be back before you know it, major league baseball, but the focus is on football this week. And before we get into that, a surprising development. And we talked about a little bit when we did our show last, took a little week off as the country waited on bated breath for what was happening in the real world. This past weekend, a decision is made. The streets are filled with celebration. Countries celebrate this decision. Fireworks going off in Paris, in London, across the world. A huge sigh of relief, a celebration around one of the most interesting, polarizing, crazy stories over the past year. And Alex Cora is hired back with the Boston Red Sox. Al, I couldn't believe the reception it got from the American people. And the decision finally comes down. Some people rejoice. Some people anger. Alex Cora is back in Boston. Wasn't that what everybody was celebrating or did I, did I miss something else? I, I, I think there was something else that was going on that really captured uh, the world and the country while over half of uh, well, probably the entire country, but certainly over half of it held their collective breath. And uh, Saturday was a celebration for the return of democracy in the United States of America for the return of respect for what this flag and the Constitution, what this nation stands for. And despite uh, the outgoing, soon to be outgoing president's refusal to recognize his loss and recognize the transition of power, as every president before him has, uh, unlike every president before him, he is going to hold his breath and act like the spoiled child that he is until he hopefully gets his way, which won't happen. And come January 19th, it will be moving day in Washington, D.C., and not a moment too soon. All of America breathe a sigh of relief uh, because we don't have to listen to nonstop tweets, nonstop lies, nonstop, nonstop allegations of media invented hoaxes, of rigged elections, of pandemics that are only designed for, to preclude him from winning re-election, which ironically was the case because he was too much of a buffoon to deal with it, too much of a gutless bum to deal with a 
terrible pandemic that has stricken the entire world and this nation and killed what's soon to be a quarter of a million people while he stood back and did nothing when he knew about it. And he got what he deserved. He got exactly what he deserved. He got his ass booted out of office and he's hanging on desperately uh, like a lost man, like a spoiled child. Because, folks, you know, if, if you think Donald Trump is going to go right out there and be a force in the political world, just remember the reason he's hanging on so desperately these last couple months is once Donald Trump leaves Washington on January 20th, he's got the state of New York to deal with. And he's got the attorney general of the state of New York, and he's got the district attorney of Manhattan and potentially the southern district of New York. State and federal jurisdictions. And lo and behold, if he's ever pardoned, you can only be pardoned for federal crimes. So Donald Trump is scared shitless. And he's scared shitless that Donald Trump is going to be indicted in the state of New York for crimes against the state of New York. That remains to be seen. That will be the attorney general's job. That will be the district attorney's job. But that is why Donald Trump does not want to leave the presidency. That is why Donald Trump does not want to leave the White House. That is why Donald Trump does not want to give up the office that he has absolutely besmirched, disgraced, and held into total and complete disgrace for the last almost four years. And come post-January 20th, we'll see what becomes of Donald Trump. And that, as I said, will be up to the legal powers that be in the state of New York. So wait and see. Quite frankly, I can't wait to see. Now, we used to do picks on this show and haven't done them as frequently because we usually do quite poorly. And if you were betting with us, you're probably on the unemployment line, not because of the state of the country, but because of the state of our bets. However, quite poorly is an understatement. When it comes to me, uh, y- you do okay. Eh. When you factor in my contribution, it, it, it gets it to quite poorly because I am hideous. All right. So I bring your your solid work to quite poorly because I am so poor, so miserable, so unable to pick my nose when it comes to college or pro football. Don't sell me short because I'm horrendous myself. But the last time we did a show, a redemption song, not dealing with sports, but dealing what would happen with the election, with the electoral college. How did your prediction a couple weeks back end up going. I know we still have votes to count, count the votes, all the votes, but we're seemingly headed toward the final answers for several of the states that are not 100% yet. So you can give a good projection of what your projections were a couple weeks back. In the words of the great John King, and as I said to you before, John King and Steve Karnacki of uh, CNN and MSNBC, respectively, uh, basically become the Mel Kuyper Jr. and the Todd McShay of the Electoral College and their big board. They were brilliant. They took us all through the night and the days and the nights to follow uh, with the count, with the breakdown, with the tendencies. And my prediction was uh, 319 uh, with uh, 100 electoral vote victory. It looks like if things continue to uh, progress the way they are, that uh, unless the soon-to-be ex-president Trump pulls a rabbit out of the hat in Arizona, we are on the way to 306 for Joe Biden, soon-to-be President Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden. And I believe I was pretty much on 
the popular vote, I said four to five percent. And I think we're going to finish right around uh, a four percent margin for Joe Biden when the dust settles on it. Uh, so not bad. Not bad. Close in a lot of places. You know, I didn't expect, you know, Michigan and Illinois and Pennsylvania to be landslides. Uh, it turned out that Michigan, he did win by over 100,000. Remember, folks, these were these were states that Donald Trump barely won three years ago. 11,000 votes in, you know, Michigan. Uh, I believe I believe it's 11,000 in Michigan. Uh, Biden won by over 100,000 votes. Uh, Biden's now up by about 45, 50,000 votes in Pennsylvania uh, and growing as those votes continue to come in. Uh, he won by 11,000 in Wisconsin. Uh, not a huge margin, but still, nonetheless, he's going to wind up winning these states by more than Donald Trump won them four years ago. And he's won Georgia by a very small margin, which will result in a recount. recount. But remember, Donald Trump won Georgia four years ago. Uh, he may flip Arizona. He's been ahead the whole time, uh, which Donald Trump won four years ago. So he re- recreated and rebuilt the blue wall, uh, which was the key to victory for Donald Trump four years ago, stunning Hillary Clinton in those three states of Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. He brought those back uh, and looks like he has turned Georgia uh, red from blue and the same with Arizona. And thus could wind up with exactly the same number of electoral votes that Donald Trump, soon to be ex-president Donald Trump, wound up with in 2016 when he shocked Hillary Clinton and shocked so many of us um, with his surprising victory. But that soon will be in the rearview mirror. Uh, Finally, thankfully, America can rest easy. America can breathe again. And finally, the nonstop chaos Trump supporters will still be there. They're not going anywhere. Those who will crawl up through a fuselage of bullets to see him. They don't care where. They don't care how. They don't care if they're left in the cold. Doesn't matter. Whatever comes out of his mouth, they're buying it. Doesn't matter. Count the lies. Doesn't matter what he says. Doesn't matter where he says it, how he says it, or why, what he says. Uh, you know, Goes to Michigan, says, I was elected. You know, I was voted man of the year here in 2012. There's never been a man of the year award in Michigan. They scream and holler for him. He just makes it up as he goes along. Literally. Uh, But the point is, the chaos that we have all been subjected to for the last four years will finally be over. And we have a president with dignity. We have a president who understands people. We have a president who, as he said, is an average Joe, is a real Joe. We have a president who has experience in foreign policy, who has experience in dealing with the Senate because he was there for so long. And despite what could be uh, still a Republican uh, majority Senate has had experience in making deals with Mitch McConnell uh, and a, a red Senate, so to speak, and has preached the ability and the emphasis on reaching across the aisle and making America great, not again, but making America great, period. Because America was great when Donald Trump took office. All right. Donald Trump made America suck. No mas. All right. Sniper, the new boss is in town. Come January 20th, this country gets back on its feet again, sighs a collective, absolute and complete breath of relief for four years in the Oval Office. The most powerful man slash woman in America was a spoiled, 
petulant child. That's the way he acted for four years. That's the way he acted before he got in office. That's the way he's always been. Folks, I don't say this because of four years. I say this because of 40 years of studying Donald Trump, of watching Donald Trump, of being in New York. We're not in the Midwest, folks. All right. We're not in the Sun Belt. We're not in farm country. We're not out there in Topeka. We're not in Bloomington. All right. We're not in Baton Rouge. We're not in Casper. We're not in Cheyenne. We're not in Butte. We're in New York. We know Donald Trump. You don't know Donald Trump. We know Donald Trump. We've watched Donald Trump. We've listened to Donald Trump. We've seen the lies. We've listened to the lies. We've watched what he does. We saw him bankrupt Atlantic City when he wouldn't pay anybody for all his casinos when they went under, and he put an entire city in bankruptcy because he didn't pay any of the contractors and everybody went broke. The art of the deal was the art of the steal. All right, we've been exposed to it. As soon as he got in office, he passed legislation with the tax law that absolutely destroyed New York State, especially the New York City and Westchester County areas where we are by devaluing real estate by capping the amount that you can deduct on your real estate taxes. He brought the real estate market in his home state, which never votes for him. By a landslide, he loses. And as a result, he almost broke the real estate market in the state of New York because he's a vindictive SOB. We know what Donald Trump is. You have no idea. Donald Trump would have taken the Democratic nomination for president. He's not about party. He's always about the same, and he's always been about the same. He's Fred Trump's spoiled, petulant child. He's in debt up to his ass. He owes everybody and his mother hundreds of millions of dollars, and now he is out there. He is asking for money, asking for money for the cause. Contribute. Well, what do you think he needs that money for? The Republican National Committee, re-election, Donald Trump needs that money because he's in debt up to his phony hair, up to the tippy top of that phony wig that he wears, all right? And he's going to need it to pay some quality lawyers because he doesn't have any good lawyers because he doesn't want to pay anybody. And nobody wants to be his lawyer because he doesn't listen to anybody. Donald Trump wants to be his own lawyer because he thinks he knows everything. And oh, by the way, Donald Trump, did not go to law school. Donald Trump does not have a law degree, but Donald Trump wants to make all the decisions. That's the problem with why nobody can work for Donald Trump because Donald Trump wants to be a one-man show. That's not the way the world works. When Donald Trump is out of office, he's got debts to pay, he's got bills to pay, and he's going to have to put together a defense team because he's going to be subject to investigation and potential indictment. So Donald Trump is looking for your money and you want to be a sucker as far as you can hear our voice, go ahead and contribute. He's already suckered you for four years. He's dumb as the day is long. He doesn't get it. Never has, never will. We've got all the receipts in 2020. We can see and hear everything that goes on. January 20th is just around the corner. That's it. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now to the stick to sports crowd, we appease you with some football talk. 
I wanted to get your thoughts on college football before hitting the National Football League because we haven't really talked about it since it started nine to ten weeks ago, depending on what conference you enjoy, or one to two weeks ago, depending on what conference you enjoy. All five of the Power Five conferences are technically playing football, though many of the teams have had to either cancel or postpone altogether their games, especially some that just started playing football a couple of weeks ago. And now it's left us with the big 10, which won't get close to 10 games for its regular season on purpose. The PAC 12, the same, the sec who is riddled with cases having to postpone cancel games, the ACC, the big 12 seemingly doing the best of the two, the ACC a little bit more excited because two of its teams now after this past Saturday might have the potential to make the college football playoff. Should that actually be played? And because of what happened after the game, however, one of the teams or both of the teams could be put in jeopardy because the Notre Dame faithful stormed the field after the fighting Irish beat Clemson in what was probably their biggest win at home since 1993 causing pandemonium and potentially a literal pandemic on the field. All that to say, and to summarize, how are you viewing the college football season to this point? Are you into it at all? Are you looking down the line thinking, how will this happen? How can we get to the finish line? How are you viewing the season up to this point from what we've seen so far? Well, let's look at it from the big picture. Very slow start, obviously because of limited play. So, you throw in the fact that I was obviously, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, laser focused on the NBA, uh, which we're not used to having at this time of year. Uh, Major League Baseball, of course, which you are used to having at this time of year. And the beginning of the NFL, uh, because of the fractured nature of the way the season started, when it started, and who it didn't start with, No, I was not nearly into it as I normally am. And the other aspect of it, which for me is huge, is I love college football. But one of the reasons I love college football is sorely lacking. I love game day. I love the passion. I love Auburn, Alabama. I love the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I love Ohio State, Michigan. I love LSU, Alabama. I love 105,000 people in Neyland Stadium. I love the I being dotted. Those things to me are, are, I know it sounds corny, but the emotion and passion of college football is like no other sport in terms of the fandom. There's nothing like it. You know, hundreds of thousands of people in buildings. 100, 105, 110,000 people in a building. You don't see that anywhere else in this country. You see it abroad for soccer in some buildings that are large enough, but you don't see that here for any of the sports. We don't put 100,000 people in a building for pro football. Buildings aren't big enough. Coliseum was the only one. Buildings made smaller, more fan-friendly items, less seats, baseball stadiums smaller because you can't fill for 81 games at 70,000. That cost, that cost effective. 
smaller venues, more fan-friendly venues. 81 games, you don't sell them all out. College football, six home games, seven home games, maybe eight home games. You know, for the big teams, you're going to play, you know, going to play eight of their 12 games at home. 105,000, 102,000, 110,000 painted faces, people screaming nonstop for two hours, three hours, four hours before kickoff to the final bell, to the final gun. The passion, game day, ESPN, Coach Corso, the headgear, tremendous stuff. Every Saturday at noon, my son and I together having breakfast, waiting to see what Coach Corso is going to put on. You don't have that in any other sport. You just don't have it. That's the best part of college football is the crowd, the game, obviously, and the passion with which they play, but the fandom, the emotion. I miss that so much more than in any other sport. I thought I was going to miss it with the NBA. I missed it some, but the NBA is about the players because the NBA players are at such a level. My father, God rest his soul, said to me many, 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 many years ago, they got to raise the basket. These guys are too good for this game. They're simply too good <laughs> because these, these guys between their size, their athleticism, they are simply better at their sport than anybody else. And he said, and it's not close. And I think he's right. I absolutely think he's right. Now, granted, you know, some of the sports are a little – baseball, it, it, it's hard to be as good in baseball as you are in basketball because it's so goddamn hard to hit the baseball. But but there are people trying to stop, stop you from scoring in basketball. And as you've heard experts and commentators – Analysts say so many times, that's great defense. And, you know, you still can't stop a guy when you're playing great defense. Um, so I, I didn't miss the crowds nearly as much as I thought I would in the NBA. Now, when we start up again with college basketball, I will probably miss those crowds. But, again, they're not as big. Even when you're in my place, even when you're in the Carrier Dome with 35,000, it's not 105,000 people. You know, and, and you don't have 35,000 in the carry room every game. You've got 105,000 in, in you know, the horseshoe every game. You've got 105,000 in Beaver Stadium every game. You just don't have that in any other sport. So th that has really, um, for me, taken away far more than any of the sports, um, you know, the excitement of it. And then you know, obviously dealing with the virus and, and games being canceled which we really didn't have too much of in the other sports, but obviously we're going to have in football because there's so many guys and there's constant contact. You know, you've got literally five times as many guys on a team. And then you got two teams. And oh, by the way, they're running into each other constantly. What do you expect? Can they get through the season? I hope so. I don't know. And then we saw the most, I think the most electrifying player in the country. Jalen Waddle go down the beginning of, of a game a couple of weeks ago with you know, a terrible ankle injury, who, who I think is the most electrifying player in the country. Um, 
you know, they had two wide receivers go in the first round of the draft last year. And I think the two that stayed behind are better than the two that went first round of the draft. You know, in, in, in Smith and Waddle, the two that stayed. Waddle is a remarkable player. He's so gifted as a receiver, as a kick returner, and seeing him go down uh, in that game with a terrible ankle injury just kind of like sucked the wind out of that game for me because I love – I don't root for Alabama, but I admire greatness. And watching him play is such a treat because he's such a brilliantly gifted player. And he's gone. And now Trevor Lawrence is, is you know, was gone for the Notre Dame game, which – in answer to your question, really perked me up because that was a great college football game. A great college football game on center stage. Um, obviously, he was not playing because of the virus. But Notre Dame, to their credit, beat a terrific team. Um, they had a couple different chances to, to fold. They kept coming back. They didn't knuckle under. And their quarterback showed me that he really is a big time college player because there were a couple different occasions there where he really led his team. Um, I don't want to go overboard and say, you know, that he was Tebow-esque in terms of the leadership, but against a tremendous opponent, he continually brought Notre Dame back in a game that I did not think they would win. And down the stretch, I did not think they could win. I didn't think they had it in them. And I was wrong. Uh, so to his credit, uh, I thought it was a great game. And it, it's kind of like got me going a little bit, so to speak, for the college football season. But I don't know where we're going to go from here. I mean, we have, we have Auburn. We have Ohio State. Uh, Clemson now with one loss. Texas A&M and, and uh, kind of on the outside looking in on the big four. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. It's been a tough, tough string of emotions since March, to be honest with you. For me, working for ACC Radio on Sirius XM, obviously we need college sports to put together a successful channel and to put together successful shows. And when sports came back, it was great for us because we have something to talk about on a conference-based channel, and when we were one of the three conferences to start when they wanted the season to happen, it was great. But before that, it was, how are they going to manage this? We saw the NBA do it successfully, but we also saw the sacrifices the NBA had to make to do it. And as you mentioned, the numbers are nowhere close to how they are in college football. You're talking five, six, seven times the numbers of a team in the NBA with its coaching staff that you're going to have to somehow sequester from hundreds of thousands of students that also happen to be attending the same schools in the same towns. But then college football comes back. And once you get over the no crowds and no bands and no cheerleaders and the different atmosphere, you get sucked into these games. You get sucked into, we're going to play nine conference games. None of these little sisters of the poor nonsense games for the first couple of weeks. We're going rivalry games right out of the gate. Down to the wire matchups to start week two. Let's cook. But then you start thinking again, how are they going to play these games? And then once the tests start happening and once positive results start coming back, 
and players are going down in droves. Games are getting canceled, postponed completely because there's nowhere to schedule them in certain conferences. You again think, how can this possibly work? And then your mind selfishly thinks, well, let's put this into perspective. How many good teams did we think there were entering the season that were going to make the four for the college football playoff? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, question mark. Your brain immediately goes to, well, at least if those three schools can get through this pandemic, unscathed mostly, and make it to the college football playoff, and then they just throw in whoever for the fourth team, we'll at least see what we expected to see and get to enjoy these playoffs. Once the Band-Aid was ripped off of the coronavirus, the pandemic, quarantine, the CDC guidelines, what we were supposed to do and not do, like there's no way of going back now. They're not going to shut the season down because a team gets it here and a team gets it there. We're pushing forward no matter what. It's just a matter of what teams are going to make it to the end. And I think if it's those three teams and whomever, people are going to be satisfied. People will look at this season as a success and people will be happy to see that once they get there. But if those teams have problems, we, we saw it already with Clemson in the best quarterback in the country, having to miss two games, they drop one. Well, then everybody assumes, well, they'll just keep winning. They'll get to the ACC championship. They'll win that potentially over Notre Dame. They should beat him with Trevor Lawrence. And maybe both those teams will get to the college football playoff two from the ACC, Ohio state, Alabama. Let's go. Here we go. So everybody's excited. But that, if those that, that, teams go court. down, then what is that's it your, still that, legitimate? That, that's, that's your wishful for that's, that's what college for. football wants right now. Exactly. Undefeated Ohio state undefeated Alabama. Cause remember LSU obviously lost it three quarters of their teams to the NFL and they're dealing with the pandemic themselves. The LSU Alabama game was canceled right, this coming week. So you're, you're undefeated Alabama, you want undefeated Ohio state and you want once beaten Clemson and once beaten Notre Dame and who they beat or you know, I'm sorry, one, one, one lost Clemson and one lost Notre Dame and who they lose to each other. Exactly. It's it, a perfect fit. It's the perfect fit. It's exactly what you want. Exactly what you want. Alabama against one of them, Ohio State against the other, and off we go. And you, once the season is over and they've finally gotten through what they've all had to deal with in terms of the virus, they'll have a month to wait. This time, we'll be happy that we've got the month off because they'll all be able to they'll quarantine them who knows? You may have the bubble bowls. The bowls may be in a bubble. It may just happen. You may be in Pasadena for three weeks. You may be in Miami for three weeks. Yeah. You may be in New Orleans for three weeks. It could be bubble time for the major bowls. Fine by me. School's out. They're all zooming in class anyway. I was say school. They could be at class in the hotel room. On the exactly Zoom. right. No excuse. Bubble it up. Bubble it up. Remember, you heard it here first for the MLB playoffs. You're hearing it first now for NCAA football. Bubble it up for the Bulls. 
get everybody healthy. You see, that's part, part of the problem now is we got spoiled by the NBA. They pulled it off. They didn't lose anybody. Not one positive test. Think about it. Now, and if they had one, they certainly be a great job not telling us. But we didn't, we, we didn't have a player miss one game. Not a one. Not a one. What the NBA for the virus. did was, was indeed, indeed, fantastic. They didn't miss for the virus. They missed it for lemon pepper chicken wings. Yeah, some yeah, family yeah. applications. We're, we're, we're not, not talking about the, we're not we're not talking about the throwing throwing money at the pole. <laughs> right. What for we're talking about is the virus, and yeah. what they pulled off was absolutely extraordinary. It's easy to forget when you immerse yourself, like Saturday night, Notre Dame, Clemson in South Bend. Enough fans there to be heard. Two of the best teams going now in the same conference. Trevor Lawrence isn't there. The storylines are off the charts. The viewership off the charts. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to get immersed into the games and think that we're good. And then the end of the game happens. And the students rush the field. And for a couple seconds, you think, well, that's great. They haven't done this in uh, since forever for a game like this. And then a couple seconds after that, your brain quickly flips on and you think, all right, we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a school that's been killed with the coronavirus to start the school year all throughout the campus, just ravaged the place. The president of the campus goes to a White House super spreader event, gets coronavirus, and then starts berating the children at his college a couple days later, yesterday, in a letter saying that he didn't really appreciate their actions. Well, maybe, done. maybe you should done. lead by Nicely your actions, done, father. bro. Father. Okay, okay, father. Maybe lead by your actions instead of putting out that memo. But it just goes to show you get sucked into the sport and then real life hits and you're like, these kids should not be out on this field right now. And then they pan back to show the full stadium and you really get the sense that they shouldn't be on the field. So it's hard. It's hard to handle. And I can't imagine, you know, poor us, the fans at home, poor, poor students that can't go to these games. I cannot imagine what this is doing to the student athletes, not only just in football, but the sports that are allowed to be played, having to deal with this every day. We mentioned at the start of the show, waking up every day with, a dread to look on the news and read the news and see what's happened while you were asleep and what's been said and what's been done to make sure everything's okay. Now these college kids, not only are they going through that, obviously, but it's the same for their sports. You wake up every day. Are we going to be able to practice today? Did anybody get it? Any positive tests? Who has to quarantine because of contact tracing? Was I anywhere near that player? Did I, Go near him after practice. Did we eat next to each other? Was I with her in the locker room? Unbelievable that this is happening. And the light at the end of the tunnel is still incredibly faint. God bless the winter sports when that comes around, if they're even had. But we press on. And as you mentioned, if college football gets that ending, they'll be able to brush that dust under the rug for how they were able to get to it. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. 
We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The National Football League isn't too much better. There's not as many teams, so that helps. There has been times where games have been canceled, etc. but for the most part, they're able to take the field, not necessarily with the players they would like to see the 49ers last Thursday, but they're on the field. My question to you is at this point in the season, are we able to have any faith in any other team that's not the Kansas City Chiefs? Because it's been very hard to figure out these, these supposed playoff contender, Super Bowl contender teams of late. Or is it just me? In terms of faith as Super Bowl favorites or teams that will continually play well and that you you know, can bank on being in the playoffs. The latter, yes. The former, I I seriously doubt. And let's remember, the Chiefs got you know the, this last win by the hair of their chinny chin chin. You know, the Chiefs were done against the Chargers and pulled a rabbit out of their hat. So, um, you know that that would be three losses instead of just one. Uh, Pittsburgh as I say, with complete subjectivity, since I despise them, uh, is the worst 8-0 team I've ever seen. They're the luckiest team I've ever seen. Uh, against hideous Dallas, if not for two incredibly questionable calls, uh, you know, third and 10, a nickel and dime, the legal contact, they get the ball back. Uh, you know, a, a turnover where, you know, Big Ben gets stripped, uh, there's a, I, I'm sorry, the, the, the third and 10 was the defensive line who kind of got tur- twisted around and, you know, his hand swings, doesn't even know where it's going, and it, it, it grazes his face mask. How many times have we seen that not called? You know, Big Ben's 6'5", 260, all right, and, and they call, you're offering the passer. But earlier when he was stripped, uh, a nickel and dime illegal contact seven or eight yards down the field uh, to keep it, you know, two drives alive. Uh, but they they roll on, they muddle on, you know, completely, uh, thoroughly dominated by the Ravens in a game that Lamar Jackson virtually gifts away with four turnovers, costing them, uh, gi- giving Pittsburgh two touchdowns and costing the Ravens another, in which the Ravens sh- should have beat them by three touchdowns. You know, held in the 221 yards total offense, completely obliterated. But the Steelers win because Lamar Jackson, you know, plays Santa Claus and gives the game away. Uh, but they're eight now. Do I think they're the best team in their conference? Not even close. But they're eight now. Over in the NFC, I haven't got the foggiest idea. I have you know, just when you think it's Green <laughs> Bay, they go out and they get blistered, and their defense can stop a strong win. Just when you think Russell Wilson is the MVP, all of a sudden, you know, he's one who wants to give the football away, and their defense is a sieve. Um and that's basically uh, it in the NFC. Am I leaving somebody out anywhere? No, that's basically. Oh, it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Taysom Hill in New Orleans. Okay. How can we forget? They they they, they obliterated, you know, an overrated media, exaggerated Tampa team in Tampa. Big deal. That really means nothing to me. 
Tom Brady's 106 years old. Uh, Bruce Arians thinks he reinvented you know, offense. Uh, he has exactly made no trips to the Super Bowl in his coaching career. So, and he's calling out Tom Brady, which I don't know how far that's going to get you. But more importantly, I, I just don't know in the NFC who to me looks like they can win a Super Bowl. There are a bunch of teams that can go. Seattle can go. Green Bay can go for sure. New Orleans can go. Uh, Christ, you give the ball enough. To, you win enough games to make the postseason, and you give the ball enough to the Minnesota running back, they can go. <laughs> I mean, right now, he's just he, he's tremendous. Loved him in college. Uh, had a couple injuries first couple years in his career. But right now, he's the best running back alive. Um, the rest of the NFC, where do you go? I mean, Seattle just signed Pete Carroll to an extension. But, you know, Pete, where's your defense? They have no defense to get in a running game. Got a great quarterback. Put together a terrific wide receiver group. But can you stop anybody? Doesn't look like it. Green Bay's got a tremendous quarterback who's still playing great. Can their defense stop anybody? Can they run the ball? New Orleans, I'm still not sure who they are. Oh, that's right. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Give him the ball. Third and seven. Give him the ball. Have him create. Him throw, give, give him the ball. Throw him the ball. Let him throw the ball. You know, can Drew Brees get it done against a big-time defense? I don't know. I just don't know. Because has he played one yet? Who's he played? It's in the NFC. It's a big-time defense. It's true. Certainly not the Bucks on Monday night. I think it's coming down to, for me, giving up a little bit on either divisions or teams. Like, as of this moment, it's hard not to say, gun to head, I'm taking the Chiefs coming out of the AFC just because as you mentioned the Steelers I don't trust enough and the Ravens haven't won that big game yet to make me believe. Lamar Jackson hasn't won that big game yet and with that I pose this question to you which I've asked others and I'm very curious what you think. Now I'm a Ravens so I'm subjective but I know the way my offense is designed so keeping in mind the way the offense is designed for a quarterback who runs a lot if I said to you as a Raven front office person that tomorrow you could have Kyler Murray even up for Lamar Jackson, would you make that trade? No, not yet. And I don't know whether or not it would be because of the players, because DeAndre Hopkins to me is my favorite and who I think is the best NFL wide receiver. And to your credit, you were right. And I was wrong. I thought he was shot. He's the guy that I thought he was he's shot. seemingly always there. Now, if Lamar Jackson has him, not to say that who he has isn't great, but they're not DeAndre Hopkins. They're not, they're not, DeAndre. They're not DeAndre. How much does that change things? How much does the play calling change things? I don't know if there would be that much of a difference, say, if you switched both of them 
and you sent Lamar to Arizona and you brought in Kyler Murray. It would come Lamar, down to like who's faster. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, uh, unless the Ravens are going to be able to go on a playoff roll where they're able to play from ahead and dominate with their running game and get enough turnovers against whether it's Kansas City or well, they're they're in pummeled Pittsburgh, so I, I know that they can handle Pittsburgh. Just can't give the ball away, but can get enough stops against a team like the Chiefs between their defense and turnovers, where Jackson does not have to drop back and throw the ball down the field on a regular basis, because that's what he has not shown the ability to do. Because remember, oh, we can't play for Brian. Can't play. They were ahead. Pittsburgh game. They were at seventeen-seven with the ball. Right. Dominated throughout. Seventeen-seven. One, two, three, and out for the Steelers. Raven football to start the second half, and he throws his second interception on the little uh, attempted pass to Andrews, ill-advised which instantly results in Pittsburgh's second touchdown. Their first pick touchdown was a pick six on the first possession of the game on an awful throw that he made. So he literally gave them that game, but they were ahead. They weren't playing from behind when he committed those mistakes. He just committed awful mistakes, fumbling in, you know, on the Pittsburgh five-yard line you know, early in the game with a lead. It's sloppy, sloppy, not, not, not valuing the football. You can't have that. You know, and, and it's time now. It's, he's not a rookie anymore. It's not his MVP season. He's in his third year. Is he going to take better care of the football? And is he going to show an ability to stand? You must be able to stand in the pocket and throw the ball down the field under pressure. And not just, oh, I got to run. Let me go. Or take a sack. Got to let him be able to throw it away. It's taking far too many. He holds the ball too long. Ball's got to come out quicker, and it's got to be more accurate. And if that means throwing it away, sometimes throw it away. Right. So be it. But he is so far in the biggest of games, in the playoffs, against Kansas City this season, against Pittsburgh this season, he has come up incredibly small, not just with an inability to make those plays, but just a dreadful job in terms of ball security and that can't happen one game in the playoffs because if it happens one game you lose and you're done you you can only play so much to your defense and to your running game if you are going to make mistakes because if that's the offense you're going to want to play and not have a quick strike. Every possession you lose debilitates you because it takes you that long to score. If that's the kind of offense that you're going to have. Yes, you keep the, the ball away from the other team, which is terrific. But, you know, if you go 70 yards and cough it up on their 10, that's, that's, that's debilitating. Kills you. So he's got to do a better job in taking care of the football and he's got to show the ability to, to stand in the pocket under pressure. And because if you watch the game, the Raven games, like I do, he misses a lot of open receivers. Yeah. And, and, and 
even passes that are completed, sometimes his guys have to make circus catches to complete them, or he puts them in a spot where they can't run after the catch. He is not accurate. He has not been accurate at all this season. His numbers are way down in terms of percentage. His numbers are way down in yards per per attempt. And um, he has not been very successful at all in terms of throwing the ball down the field. And his accuracy has been very poor. The problem is with those types of offensive schemes for Lamar and for Kyler and for other running quarterbacks is you if you try to take away the run and you do so successfully, you're also not only just taking away the running backs, you're taking away the quarterback. It's not taking away the quarterback running, but your running backs are still successful. Usually it's the whole running game. It's not just one aspect of it. So now your running backs are screwed. You're screwed as the quarterback. And if you don't have it that day passing the ball, you're done. And we've seen that happen for the Cardinals too. I think to a much greater degree, Kyler Murray has the ability to, and, and I know it's a struggle at times because of his diminutive nature. And throwing the, from the pocket is not difficult for him, but can be difficult in terms of passes being deflected, um, his inability to see over defensive linemen. But Kyler Murray can make all the throws. Kyler Murray is a much better throwing quarterback with a better arm, more accurate arm, a more, for lack of a better term, pro-style arm than... Lamar Jackson. And I don't think it's close. So um, that's that baseball in him, Al. Yeah, absolutely. It's that baseball in him. No doubt about it. But he's another quarterback that we just have to see more of. And we would have to see in the postseason because while there's been games like beating Seattle in overtime, 37, 34, there's the game following it where you get out dueled by Tua in his first start. With the Miami Dolphins, there's been the games. They what did they lose to the Lions and the Panthers back to back weeks? The Cardinals. So there's there's times doesn't where seem, I think all the teams change. this year have had, except for a handful, have had too many losses. Where we wonder who is this team? What will they do? Come the postseason, come the end of the line. Is there a better example of that than the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, there might not be. One week, Josh Allen is everybody's MVP. The next week, everybody says, well, there's the Josh Allen we know and love. There's, there's the guy that, there's the guy that I, I told you they shouldn't draft. Yeah. And then he goes 30 for 36. There are people who thought he couldn't go 30 for 36 in practice. <laughs> there are people who told you he's so inaccurate throwing the football that he couldn't go 30 for 36 in practice. And I don't know what Josh – I have no clue what Josh Allen is other than, you know, again – the complimentary term, I don't mean it as a derogatory term. When I call a guy, he, he's a freak. He's an athletic freak. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He can throw the ball 100 miles an hour. He can throw it 100 yards. Where it's going to go sometimes, I'm not sure. I don't know if he knows. But it's almost like, you know, seemingly like one of those guys, when he gets, you know, when a, when a quick, he's hot. When a quarterback, he's one of those. He's one of those guys who, when a quarterback gets hot, yeah, no question. You know, like a, he's like a streak shooter. When he gets hot, and all of a sudden the ball's not going all over the yard, it's going where it's supposed to go. Whether it's his motion, 
whether it's his follow through, whether it's his you know, off his back foot, whether or not it's his footwork, whatever the case may be, he goes through these stretches where he's making all the throws. And then these other stretches where you're like, did you see that throw? <laughs> and you can't figure it out. And I think a lot of it does have to do with form and footwork and technique because we know he's got a rocket for an arm. We know he can make a, a lot of difficult throws. He's absolutely still maturing. Uh, he, like Lamar Jackson, is not very sound with ball security. We saw him make some terrible decisions in the playoffs last year. Their defense is not nearly as good as we thought it was. Is anyone's defense as good as we thought it was? Is anybody's defense any good? These are the questions we need answers to. Really, the only way to get them is to cross our fingers and hope they keep playing the games. We keep coming back next week to answer them. That's exactly right. John King says we count the votes. That's what we do. When they come in, we count the votes. It's democracy. We count the votes. Here, we play the games, and we talk about them. That's the way it goes. That's what we do. That's what the new report, the old report, is all about. They play them. We talk about them. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my part of the great John Tiny, Lauren Diana, Renato McGill from White Plains, until next we speak, have a great and safe sports week, everybody. We'll be back at 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.